Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico from the Made in China podcast and Enter China. We're back with a new episode after another month hiatus, and I'm here with China Mike. What's up, everybody? Long time no communication. Uh, we're happy to be back on track with the podcast. We're working with a uh, an editor now who's going to take care of the the editing capabilities. Hopefully, will allow us a little more time to record episodes and get episodes up quicker. So uh, yeah, it's been a really essentially there comes a time in a man's life when <laughs> he has to just uh, grow up and settle down. And... Gotta outsource, man. <laughs> so uh, from my from my end, I've been really busy. Have a lot going on. Um, some time and, and went out and hung out with some digital nomads over in Chiang Mai, Thailand, and of course, I've been busy on the basketball trail. So really looking forward to getting some of those episodes that I've recorded along the way out. Keep you guys informed, but uh, yeah, happy to be back, and you know, look forward to communicating with some of you in the near future. Yeah, speaking of digital nomads, he's referencing uh, Noam Ryan. I think Noam was in episode four of this podcast, and Ryan was like episode thirteen. So if you want to check those out, um, that was over a year ago. So lots of progress since that time period. They've gone on to like, you know, they've gone on to create successful location independent businesses. So. Pretty interesting stuff. All right. And in this episode, I interviewed Heather Schuster. She is a entrepreneur. She's been in China for like, what, eight years, 10 years, uh, mainly in Guangzhou. Like she's basically a Guangzhou encyclopedia. If you ever have a chance, if you ever have the pleasure of meeting her, she is, um, she's, she founded this company called, uh, Ollie World. What they do is, Actually, I think that's for web- yeah, Ollie World. That's a website as well, OllieWorld.com. But what they do is they create sustainable products. Uh, she's using rubber to make uh, to make it's what do you call it? Sustainable rubber? It's not sustainable rubber. It's like free trade rubber, something like that. Basically, the the, the people that make the products get paid a certain amount of wage, like as a minimum um, wage that they have to get paid. And she's kind of crazy, man. She's kind of like Indiana Jones, like she was she wanted to do this in China and then found out that China doesn't have rubber plantations so she had to she went to the source she went to Sri Lanka <laughs> to find rubber plantations like who does that anyway so we just talked about her product and she's planning on launching a Kickstarter campaign in the near future so this is a really really good episode um, I met Heather through Enter China she's a member and just all around awesome person so enjoy I don't want to be a product of my environment I want my environment to be a product of me. When somebody asks you, what do you do in like a social setting or like a function, what's your response? My response is I make shoes. So, I mean, I, I always find it's best to explain in very simple layman's terms terms what it is that you do and then uh that's that's what i do i make shoes cool maybe for you know I, i'm assuming most people listening to us don't know who you are can you describe like your background give a little bit of information about where you're from okay uh well first of all my name is heather schuster so yeah i know how <laughs> Don't laugh. <laughs> Serious. No, I was, I was trying to make uh, not to make a you know shoe pun or you you like could that, totally but, go there, but you know that's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so 
Yeah, I'm Heather Schuster, and I make shoes. And how great is that? Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, background, like where are mm-hmm. you from? What did you study? How did you oh, get into this okay. current business? Well, that's kind of a kind of a long answer. Uh, my home state's Ohio, mm-hmm. and um, I left when I was 18, and it's been not a straight trajectory getting into this business. Um, before I started doing this, I worked in education for a long time. Uh, I did editing, too. I worked in PR and radio, so... I've done a lot of stuff, you know, up until this point. Yeah, I know. We we had a deep, deep conversation about all the things that you've done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, as far as like, how did I start getting into this? I started uh, getting into manufacturing when I came to Guangzhou. And I was just impressed and amazed at all of the people that I met here and they were doing so many cool things and you know i I had always wanted to do something like that but i just didn't know how and uh i i just wasn't i just never thought that somebody like me could be able to do something like that i always assumed it was for people who had a lot of money Mm -hmm. and a lot more resources than i did but then it turns out it you know it just wasn't true you brought up when we were talking earlier you brought up an interesting point about uh actively looking for people that were in this line of business mm-hmm. or in various businesses in China. And like yes. you said you were trying to meet people like two people a week. Like, yes. How, like, what, first of all, how did you formulate that idea? And then how did you actually put it into action? Okay. So yes, you're right. I, I had this, I made this conscious decision years ago that if I was going to make a career change, that I needed to change the people around me, not that the people around me were bad and to get rid of them. No, to keep them and then to expand on my social circle as well. So I made this conscious decision that I was going to make, make at least two new friends a week, people who weren't involved in, in education at the time they were going to be in anything else except that. Mm-hmm. So how did I do that? Um, and that's because you, you were a teacher before. That's right. Yeah, I was teaching at an international school before, and um, I'm actually a licensed teacher in secondary education, too. And um, how did I do that? You know, I said yes to just about every social invitation that there was, within reason. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, uh, zombie walk? Yes, please. And, that's, that's hilarious because yeah. um, we did a podcast episode, I think, Last month, and uh-huh. we were talking about saying yes to everything. Everything. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, it's like, because... Yeah, we were talking about saying yes to everything. Right, yeah. because you, you never know who you're going to meet day after day. And you just you just got to show up and you just got to be there and um, just go in with a positive attitude. And you never know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I really believe in that, that it that's that's really been half of this. So, okay, so you're actively meeting people, mm-hmm. uh, learning about manufacturing mm-hmm. and now you're beginning to believe that you can do this. Um, how did you get the idea to start making the shoes mm-hmm. specifically? Um, that came about when um, I had been in China for a few years. I was here for maybe three years. And naturally, you know, if you're here for that amount of time, you're just going to have problems with your visa. You know, that the 10 year visa just didn't exist yet between China and the U.S. So mm-hmm. unfortunately, you know, I've, I've had so many debacles here with that. So um, I had to go back 
to fix it back to the U.S. And uh, my brother happens to live in Hawaii. So I figured, well, if I'm going to go set foot in America, I might as well do it there. Mm -hmm. And um, how I got started was I forgot my flip flops. Probably not the best thing that I've done going to Hawaii. And um, I thought it would be relatively easy to get a new pair. And uh, it turns out it really, it wasn't. You know, the things that I found, I was really disappointed with the quality of the, the flip-flops that I found. And, you know, the materials that were being used were things that were really horrible, like PVC and plastic. Mm-hmm. And then that just brought this question to my mind, like, is there a better way? Is there a more natural material that I can use? And then turns out there was. It was natural rubber. Mm-hmm. But it was... I thought it would be easy, but it was a lot harder than I thought it would be. So what was the most difficult aspect of starting that company? Like, Oh, um, it just didn't exist. It just didn't exist. It just didn't exist. So, well, I mean, there was one company in Germany doing it. And then um, there was a French company. And then there's another, there's an American company. And they have a distribution deal with that same French company. So, I mean, there was just like a handful of people who were actually doing this. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't, you know, usually if you say, oh, I make shoes, you show up at the shoe factory, you pick out the model that you want. You say, oh, yeah, that's that's it. OK, great. Can I have a container of that stuff? No, me, I, I had to go and actually find rubber trees <laughs> and find out okay, I need this rubber for these shoes and then find a factory that was able and willing to actually do that. So it just brought up this, all these problems that I, you know, was running into and I just, um, you know, kept after it and kept on thinking, okay, well, if this is, exists over here, how come this isn't in the American market yet? Mm-hmm. You know, so I just kept, just kept at it, just was really persistent. What was the answer to that? Like, why, why, why weren't there any other companies making, you know, rubber slippers? Cost. Cost. Yeah, yeah. just simply cost. Um, not that they were so expensive. Was It's just that you can make an even greater profit on, you know, if you use uh, PVC or plastic, those materials are so cheap. You can get those for 50 cents or a dollar a pair and then imagine the markup on that. It's huge. Which is the next point is that your business is not just you wanted to improve the quality. You, mm-hmm. also, you also cared about the environmental aspect and, yes. and fair trade. Can you explain what your, your, your thoughts on that are? Right. Well, part of my problem that I ran into when I was doing this. So like I said, I, I had to actually go and find my own rubber to do this. So I started reading about, okay, what is rubber? Where does it come from? Um, it actually comes from a tree and it's a, it's a native tree of Brazil and uh, it's grown in a lot of places now, like Southeast Asia. So I had to actually go and find rubber trees. <laughs> so usually you don't go and source down to the raw materials, but I had to because, mm-hmm. again, it just didn't exist. So, you know, I, I started showing up at these rubber plantations and then realizing that they're pretty horrible, that the rubber industry is notorious for exploiting its workers. And I didn't know that until I actually showed up at these places and then um, I saw some things that were pretty shocking. So, you know, people who didn't have protective equipment, I saw people who they probably, I don't know how old they were, but they didn't look like they should be old enough to be working in a factory. 
Um, you know, I, I saw. And this wasn't mm-hmm. just in China, right? This no, was- no, no. This was definitely this was not in China. In fact, um, China's not doesn't produce as much rubber as we think. It's only in Yunnan province mm-hmm. um, because it only grows in subtropical climates and it's at a constant temperature. Mm-hmm. So there are very few places in China that are able to sustain that. So most rubber production takes place in Thailand, India, Indonesia, Vietnam, Sri Lanka, Cambodia, places like that. Yeah. So very little in China. So, I mean, uh, you talked previously with me about like your experiences traveling. I think the first place you went to was Ecuador, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how did that benefit your business when you were now traveling to Sri Lanka uh-huh. and, and, you know, Thailand and, and all these various places to, to source these, to source rubber. And, oh, okay. Rubber. Well, that was, that was a totally different world. So for people who are listening, um, this was 20 years ago and uh, this was in 1996 and it was very different world back then. I had, I, I was pretty young. I left and I had this idea that I wanted to be an exchange student And uh, so I was sent to Ecuador. And at that time, of course, you have to remember, there's no Facebook, there's no Twitter, there's no Google, there's no cell phones, there's no smartphones, Mm. there's no internet, there's nothing. People were still writing me letters, Mm. you know. So when that plane took off, that was it. I mean, I got dropped off. Yeah. So... That experience, it, it really mm-hmm. shaped me there's, for there's no Google Maps. How do I get? Oh to, no, no, not at all. No, absolutely not. And I didn't even speak Spanish at the time. I I went there, and I knew nothing. And the only like, person, even if, even if you don't speak the language, there's no fucking translating apps. Like. No, there was nothing. It's like I walked around with a paper dictionary. We are so we are so privileged. Today. We are. We have no idea exactly. So people ask me like, "Well, how did you learn Spanish that well?" Well, the answer is you had to. Yeah. There was no other. Choice. No choice exactly it's either you do it or you go home those are the only two solutions there's nothing in between and the only person who spoke english was me <laughs> this is like a completely random question but mm-hmm. did you like um have a like a physical map and then you checkpointed like where i'm gonna go and mm-hmm. from the airport to sure yeah you did that mm-hmm. okay yeah cool sure i i actually got out a map and then i memorized all the major all the streets major streets before you it. before you left no, this is after I, I got there. After you got there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, going back to the original point is like, how did that affect um, you now uh-huh. or a couple of years ago traveling around you uh-huh. know, uh, Southeast Asia for your current business? Well, it teaches you to be completely independent. So, and that you can handle any situation that's thrown at you. Mm-hmm. And finally, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. So whatever happens, you're probably going to turn out all right. Okay. So, you know, the aspect of it being sustainable mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, eco-friendly. Mm-hmm. Other than that, did you feel like this would be a business that would be successful? Or was that mm-hmm. mainly, I guess you wanted to help out and you wanted to do something that was uh, good for the environment mm-hmm. and, and make sure that people are getting good quality. But mm-hmm. did you have an, a vision that this would be a successful product or? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. When, you know, and I, I didn't, you know, when I was talking to you before, I had this idea of making flip-flops, but, you know, fair trade, that came later. That right. was not something that I had, I totally had to rework my whole business plan and idea um, just because of the, the things that I had encountered on these 
Um, so the, the initial mm-hmm. thought process was just to make a better quality flip-flop. Exactly. Like I, my vision was I wanted to make a better quality flip-flop from more environmentally and sustainable materials and do something good for somebody in the process. You know, I didn't want to rip people off in mm-hmm. the end. Mm-hmm. And that was like, that was something that was really difficult for me. You know, I would tell people like, gosh, you know, these rubber plantations are really not so good places. And then people would say, well, Heather, that's just the way business is, is done. But, you know, I couldn't really accept that as, as an answer. So I thought, okay, if I'm going to be doing this, I'm going to do it in a better way. I'm going to check to make sure my factories are places that I want to deal with, first of all. You know, I don't want to see, I, I don't want to be in a place that I wouldn't want to work at, mm-hmm. you know, because there are other people who have to show up in those conditions every single day. And I'm sure that my customers care about that too. You know, in the end, how would you feel if you know where half your stuff came from? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I asked you this question before, but how mm-hmm. did you market your business? How did you, I know you talked about, you got some distribution deals in Japan, mm-hmm. and places like that. Like yeah. how did you get those situations in place? Um, I went to some trade shows. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I started uh, going to these, to, to these trade shows. There was one in Las Vegas that I attended um, back in February. And uh, so that's, that's really a lot of it is, you know, showing up and talking to people and um, telling them what you're about. And that's really part of it is like, they want to know who they're dealing with too. Yeah. So, and other things that we do, we're also starting our Facebook marketing. We're redoing our webpage too, because, you know, you asked me about that before. And I think part of it is like, you have to show where things come from. You can't just write about it. Do you it. want to plug the webpage? Or, you know, oh, it's, it? yeah, sure. It's www.olliworld.com. O-L-L-I world.com. Mm-hmm. So yes, check it out. And uh, you have your, your sister is your business partner. Mm-hmm. And then I also met uh, one of your friends. She's Italian and she's mm-hmm. a designer, right? Yes. What is the, how has that structure helped you? And what are the, what are the roles that everybody plays in the company? That's a really good question. Yes. So my sister, is actually my business partner and uh, we're doing this 50-50. So she handles all of the administration things. And uh, so if there's any copyright that needs to be handled or, oh, we need a tax accountant or, you know, all, all of that stuff, she handles that. And then if anybody has to travel or go anywhere or talk to factories or do quality control or that sort of thing, then it's me, mm-hmm. you know, because partially, you know, my, there are my two young nephews. So it's not like it's really a possibility. So mm-hmm. there's that too. And then, you know, my friend Maria Christina, I met her a year and a half ago in Guangzhou and then we're under talks of opening up an office in, in Italy too. So how important has networking been for your business? Huge. Huge. Yeah, huge. I would say that's really been the bulk of what I've been doing is is networking for years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you we're talking about this today, but, you know, I worked on networking far before I even had an idea uh, for this. So, uh, and, and you met Tim and Nick before right like in, yeah really in how did okay so you were already in china at the time yes right? uh-huh. how did you come across them like what, what 
how did you find out about Uber? Well, that's that's kind of a, a story. Um, but, I yeah. just want to say, by the way, anyone that doesn't know Tim and Nick, they're interchina elevator life guys. I haven't officially announced the podcast, but uh, I'm a partner of the company now. Congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> right. So yeah, so you're asking me about how did I how did I get involved with them? Yeah. Yeah. So you know, you had asked me before about uh, networking. So I made this conscious decision. I'm going to meet as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. So at that time, I had a two bedroom apartment and I had an extra room. So I figured I'm going to open up one of these rooms and then Airbnb it. And I figured that's a good way to meet some people. And I would play tour guide and show some people around and help some people out if they came here. Because, you know, it's a tough it's it's not easy being in China by yourself. Um, so I did that. And uh, there was this one person. His name was Terry. Hey, Terry, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, unfortunately, he couldn't stay with me because. Uh, something bad happened in my, like the, it blew up. My bathroom blew up and they had to come in and fix the whole thing. They were ripping tiles off of walls and there were sandbags and, Oh, I had this terrible leak. It was really bad. I know. It's like only in China can things like that (laughs) go down. So I felt really bad. And I, I told him, you know, I'm really sorry. You can't stay with me. I said, but, you know, I would love to show you around anyway. Can I at least buy you dinner or a drink or something? And he said, oh, I have this entrepreneur meeting. Do you want to go? I said, well, sure. Why not? I guess so. And then I showed up and I think this was maybe the first or one of the first ones that they were having. This is an inter-China meetup? Or- no, it wasn't even inter-China at the time, I don't think. Elevator life? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't even know that they did like meetups in Guang. I, I mean, I knew they did like, um, they did meetups around the Canton Fair. Okay. But I didn't know they were, they actually did a couple like, like weekly or monthly. I don't know how that, honestly, I don't know because yeah, I just, yeah, I showed up at that one and then I ended up sitting next to Tim. It's just kind of one of those chance meetings that changes your life. Mm-hmm. So, and here he was. He had just come to China something like a year and a half before. Mm-hmm. And then he had just launched this watch company on Kickstarter. And, you know, his whole story was just so fascinating. Lexel. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then there was another one. Um, they just launched with the stone watches with the marble ones. Yeah. Too? I, that's Lexel. Oh, okay. Yeah. And with Vincero too. Vincero Collective was like, a, I guess, after they did Lexel, they mm-hmm. did Vincero. Mm-hmm. Vincero was also a watch. Mm-hmm. And then they went into like menswear okay. accessories. I like see. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. And it was just really interesting talking to them. And it, it, it was just inspirational because I thought, wow, okay, here are two young guys fresh out of business college. You know, they came here to China mm-hmm. with from my understanding, not a whole lot. And just this idea of, okay, we want to do something. And then they were just hustling day after day. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I just found that so inspirational. So I thought, wow, okay, if they can do it, I think I can do this too. So, I mean, you you already had uh, like an, an ambition to do this. Mm-hmm. And then it was just more so like meeting people that were doing this. Right. And taking inspiration from them and then thinking yes. that you can do it yourself. Definitely. Yes. And that, that was another thing, too. I, I not only made the decision to meet people, but to meet people who I thought were positive and inspirational and people that I thought that I could learn something from. How did you cultivate that mindset? How did you 
you know, develop that, that way of thinking? How did I develop that way of thinking? Um, that's a good question. I just, you know, a few years ago, I decided like, uh, I was going to meet some nice and positive people that, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's a lot better living that way than yeah. with people who are walking around and being like, ah, I hate China. I hate it here. And <laughs> it's really, you know, that's no way to live at all. I'm here. I, and I literally feel sick when I meet people. I do too. Talk it like it bumps like, me I out. I feel Like yeah, I do too. I, I feel so, so <laughs> sad. I mean, of course we all have our bad days, but I am here and I accept the good and the bad, all yeah. of it. You know, it's, it's, it's like having a boyfriend or girlfriend. You just can't pick out like only the good parts. It's yeah. all of it, yeah. you know, whole package, the yeah, whole thing. You have to accept it for what it is. Exactly. Mm -hmm. All right. So then, okay. So you meet Tim and Nick, right? Mm -hmm. And then uh, you're cultivating this mindset. What was the first step after that? The first step after that, um, after making a lot of connections was I was just keeping my, uh, my eyes open for really anything. Cause mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I need to like, think of something that I would enjoy doing that I want to learn about and something that I think would be interesting. And not only that, but I think that other people would find interesting too. So you know, what was that? Uh, you know, you can only answer that for yourself. So it was really a lot of, you know, walking around and thinking and passing out business cards and shaking hands and listen to a lot of stories. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about what, uh, you know, coming to China at the time, like, well, how is that different from now? Like, well, what is your perspective on China then versus China now, business of China then versus oh, China now? It's, it's, completely different. I feel like Guangzhou is gentrified now. <laughs> like, like when I came here five years ago, it was Brooklyn so in New York or something. Oh, it was like, no, I mean, Guangzhou has hipsters now. Guangzhou has hipsters now. I know does it does have hipsters. actual hipsters. I know yeah. that's like the thing that that's just so, <laughs> so funny to me yeah. when I see that they have like actual hipsters. Um, well, when I first came to Guangzhou five years ago, people told me not to come that it was uncool. Why aren't you going to Shanghai? Why aren't you going to Beijing? Nobody's heard of this, blah, blah, blah. Every, everybody yeah. goes to Shanghai and Beijing. It's right? so overdone. Yeah. And that, see, that's the thing to me. You know, I had already lived in other places. For example, you know, I had an experience in London and I was there for a long time. And I just felt like all of those opportunities were used up already by mm -hmm. people who'd already been there a lot longer than me, yeah. who knew more people. And it was just like... Where, you know, I was getting nowhere there. So I had already had that experience. So I thought, okay, you know, from what I've been reading, there's so many people already in Shanghai. It's saturated. I want to go somewhere new. And I kind of like the nicer weather down south. So that was a, you know, a that, was, that point. was half of the reason why I moved to Guangzhou. Really? It's like uh, Toronto winter is brutal. Oh, that's brutal. brutal. Well, I'm from Ohio, so yeah. I get it. Yeah. I do. Mm hmm. All right, so uh, one thing we were talking about earlier mm -hmm. is uh, you're a lady, right? Yes. Uh, I don't want to, like, make it into, like, oh, she's a lady entrepreneur, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. I don't want to have that asterisk. But, I mean, the, you are the first person that I've interviewed on the podcast that, that is an entrepreneur mind. that yeah. is a lady. We, ha we have to talk about that aspect mm -hmm. of female entrepreneurship in mm -hmm. China. What... I guess my first question is mm -hmm. what difficulties have you faced that you feel like, or what 
uh, situations have you faced on a regular basis that you feel like maybe male entrepreneurs haven't in, in, in China? Well, first of all, when I get a lot of emails and mm-hmm. they haven't met me first, it's usually dear Mr. Heather Schuster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's usually, uh, first of all, they, they make the assumption that I'm a man. So that's, that's first, first, which I find kind of funny. Yeah. So it makes me chuckle. And then when I show up, I like to see their reaction. So that's, that's always good stuff. So it's, it's just the initial assumption that I'm dealing with a man. Correct. And uh-huh. then when you show up, there's a little bit of a shock. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. So. But other than that, have you, you haven't uh, had any sort of like overt discrimination? Or, no. You know, Mm-mm. nothing like that. No, right. exactly. I, I think that when I show up and I walk through the door, I think that it kind of takes them aback a little bit at first. And then they overcome their obvious surprise, which I kind of enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> and and then, of course, we get down to business. So, and, you know, kind of like what we were talking about before is that I'm actually there and I'm present. Yeah. Right. That was the most important thing. Like, Absolutely. You know, the, they get a thousand emails a day from exactly. foreigners. From foreigners, hey, yes. Uh, you know, we want to make this product uh-huh. or whatever. And then for you to physically be at the factory, they're right. like, this is a serious person, right? Oh, for sure. Well, I, I can say that not only in China, but in other countries too, especially at mm-hmm. rubber plantations where there are just women are just non-existent. Oh, you brought up something that I was very interested in hearing more no, about no, no, no. is that you've had people working at the factories, female factory mm-hmm. workers approaching you. Yeah. And saying that it's really cool uh-huh. that you're, you know, a few, uh, running your own business. Yes. Yeah, that's that's happened quite a few times in China and in other countries, too. They they come up to me afterwards. And, um, you know, it's, it's funny because it's after all the men have left and they'll come up to me privately and they say, wow, that, I think that's really great what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I think I kind of want to do something like that, too. What do you say to that? Like, what do you, when somebody says that? Oh, you, I love it. You just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, first of all, I, I, I think it's really, it's flattering, of, mm-hmm. of course, if somebody says that to you. But second of all, I mean, I, I love when people do that. I love hearing about success stories and how they started from nothing and then have this huge empire. I think that's so cool. So, you know. So two parts to that question. Um, one, like, do you think there is any way to take that further? So you have somebody who says, I really like what you're doing and I want to do that. Like, is there a way, do you have any vision of how they can actually follow your footsteps? Mm-hmm. Um, the second question, which is kind of on, it's connected, but a deeper question as well. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that the majority of entrepreneurs in China are male? You don't have to speak mm. for all women, but I just want your opinion on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. I mean, you can go into economics, talk about like the majority of CEOs of mm-hmm. in North America and stuff like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's a reason to it. Like there's a mm-hmm. reason why the majority of guys, uh, people leaving the States, leaving Canada, leaving Europe, coming mm-hmm. to China, trying to start businesses mm-hmm. are male. Yes. And uh, I'm curious as to why do I opinion. think that is? Yeah. That's a really good question. Well, Rico. <laughs> so I guess the fir- the first one was. Uh, <laughs> How do I? Yeah. 
what do you do you have any vision for trying to help people follow your footsteps you know i've i've been actually thinking about that recently yeah i've actually had people email me and ask me for advice mm-hmm. now well you you're probably going to become the like i mean because you are so unique and, yeah. and like one of you know a million yeah you're probably going to become a default voice for that <laughs> <laughs> well i i, I that's funny. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't think of myself like. That. Uh, it's yeah, just like it's not even a choice. Like yeah, it's true. just the fact no, that just the fact that exactly that you're I'm here. You're exactly gonna, you're gonna become because right. people will be looking at you and saying like, "Well, she did that. How mm-hmm. did she do that? How did Can she, she do help that? me do that? Absolutely. Right? It's not even like you want to. It's just right. It's just gonna happen. It's just gonna happen. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right about that. And back to your question about why is it so overwhelmingly men? Honestly, I I think that. We as women are given so many messages that, you know, it's up to us to be caring and nurturing and uh, it, you, you can't be aggressive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we kind of talked about that before, that there's other different approaches to business, too. There's a there's a stereotype about what an entrepreneur is and right. that, that is kind of related to masculinity. Right, exactly. But I completely disagree. I think... I have had other successes based on other skills that I have, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and one of the points that you you brought up, which I agreed with, is that you know in China it's not actually the best move to be so no. aggressive. With no, no, it's it's really bad if you, you know? do that. Yeah. Absolutely, they take offense to that. They really do, and it's just that's just not going to go over well, especially if you show any sort of aggression or outward anger. Or outbursts, that's that's just not going to go over well because, as you know, in China, something that's really important in Chinese culture is harmony and mm-hmm. we get along and we are the group. So you can't... To be stereotypical feng shui. And- exactly, <laughs> right. And then, you know, to go against that, it's very disruptive to yeah. that sort of harmony. And, you know, people, they feel that and then they don't forget it. And they think that, okay, if you're going to be very emotional like this then maybe in the future you are not stable maybe you make emotional decisions too so and it you may not be a person that they want to deal with or like dealing with so again like if i guess somebody wants to follow in your footsteps what do you think what do you think the uh first steps will for that person would be first steps for that person to be to do um just show up just show up yeah just show up Just think, well, don't think like, oh, you know, because I, it's so funny to me. I hear people make excuses Mm -hmm. all the time, why they can't do something versus why they can't, you know, why, why aren't there more possibilities out there? I find that, you know, people, you know, when I explain what I do, the first response is often, well, I could never do that. And, you know, and I think, well, why you've already lost Mm-hmm. You've already just failed because you don't believe that you can, that that's just not even possible. Mm-hmm. So I think that part of it is, you know, these things, they don't take any talent of show up, be on time, dress appropriately, mm-hmm. you know, listen well, take notes, learn something. You know, these are things that take no skill and no effort. So I think that that would be, you know, my number one advice for Mm-hmm. So, and you mentioned that you you feel like um, essentially the messages that girls get growing up yeah. kind of teach them to not be 
go-getters and, and go out and travel and, mm-hmm. and, and start their own businesses, is it? Yeah, I think so. Thing? Yeah. And um, maybe I had like a, a little bit of a different upbringing. I actually grew up with my father. Mm-hmm. So in, he was an engineer. And then he was always giving my sister and I these really vague problems. Mm-hmm. And then he would just say, well, I don't know, just figure it out and just leave. And <laughs> like, you know, like, for example, I remember there was this one time we had, it was really hot one summer in Ohio. We had this little swimming pool and then we had these high winds and then it started getting this weird bulge at the bottom. And then my dad was like, I don't know, just go fix it mm-hmm. to me and my sister. And then we were like, wait, what? No. Like, and he would just leave. <laughs> So, I mean, these are some kind of things that I had encountered, I guess, from a pretty young age. So um, versus not like, oh, no, you can't like, oh, you have to do like stay inside or no. My dad's like, no, too bad. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, I mean, you're sourcing, you know, raw materials from from Sri Lanka Mm -hmm. and and then you're doing assembly in China. Is that some of it? Some of it. Yeah. So can you just kind of break down the entirety of your process and your business like mm-hmm. you're getting some materials from here what, what, what how are you putting everything together mm, okay well there are different products that we're making now so we started out making natural rubber flip-flops mm-hmm. um which we are launching really soon we've already got orders for that lined up and then it just evolved into a lot of other things so we're now working on a converse type sneaker Mm-hmm. And the the sole is going to be made of natural rubber. And then the upper is made with organic cloth. It's actually made on hand looms. So, so is that going to be put together in China? That is not. That's actually going to be put together in Sri Lanka. Mm-hmm. And the, where, where is the cloth coming from? The cloth is coming from India. So the cloth is coming from India. The yes. rubber is from Sri, from Sri Lanka. Lanka. And then that's they're right. also going to put it together in Sri Lanka. Some of it. Well, for the shoes, that's where my my shoes are being manufactured is Mm -hmm. in Sri Lanka. And the reason why is because my rubber plantation is there. The best premium grade rubber actually comes from Sri Lanka. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's the proximity there. And they actually do really, really good work, too. And I'm I'm so happy I found this place. They do amazing stuff. So, and they've agreed to <laughs> all these things that I you know, have to use my rubber, I have to use my cloth and yeah. must meet all these working conditions and on and on and on. So I'm, I'm pretty pleased with that. So as to what I'm doing in China right now, I'm doing some other things that I hadn't expected. For example, I'm, I'm working on some bags right now from the same material and I was going to, com- to do a more complete collection. The same material specific, which material? The handloom canvas, okay, sure. mm-hmm. like the the uh, organic cotton canvas that sure. I found. But is is this the material that's being is it being brought over from India? Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. to China, and then yes. now they're putting it together in China. Correct. Okay. Right. How difficult was it to find manufacturers that would, you know, get this material from India and put it together? How did you? What was that process like? Um, it actually wasn't so bad, just because I had lived here for so long and mm-hmm. I knew. A lot of people, so it was a matter of, of asking around, and then Maria Christina. So, so you, yeah. oh, I was going to use your guangxi. I did lose my guangxi. Yeah, I'm all about guangxi. See, that's why uh, it's important to come down to China. You get you your guangxi gotta going. Gotta do it exactly. You know? Yeah, all actually, right. I brought some with me. So, <laughs> yeah, Yes, so you can see since we talk about it take so some much. Guangxi and put it put it in my pocket. Right. So here's like 
Oh. Some of the rubber ones. Nice. This is these are prototypes. I gotta so. start doing video podcasts so mm-hmm. you can be like, oh, you know what I could do is like the per- you know some people do like a periscope oh, of the right. of the podcast. They do like a live stream. Uh huh. This is pretty cool. Nice. So this is these are fair trade. Rubber. That's right, natural rubber. rubber. So I guess people can see that. I, I should take a couple. Of, can I take pictures? Sure. Of yeah. Go ahead. Take a couple of pictures and I'll post it up on the on the website. But mm-hmm. they're basically like uh, I mean, it looks like a normal flip flop, right? Um, lime green sole, I guess, and gray. Mm-hmm. And other than that, it's just a flip-flop. right. And then, but then you wear them, and they're actually they're, they're quite more comfortable. Comfortable, right? right. And then you yeah. know it's natural rubber can I, because can I wear these? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I feel like I'm like, what's this, the home shopping network? Like, oh <laughs> yeah, I can. Oh I yeah, can feel oh, the my, difference. I can. I can. <laughs> I can run now. I, I can. Oh my god, this is so free. Like, <laughs> feel like I could walk a million steps. That's this. right. And I brought a pair of the sneakers that we're working on too. So here you go. These are the Converse. Mm-hmm. And that's made with the hand loom. So they do. Um, yeah, they do look like Converse sneakers. Right. So I this wanted. this is made from hand. Yeah. Cotton. What do you call it? Organic hand loom cotton. Hand loom cotton. Yeah. So it's cool. all, all the, uh, the work is done by hand. Cool. Yeah. And we actually um, got in touch with an NGO in India because there was this horrible earthquake uh, in Western India. So they set it up to help preserve uh, these artisanal crafts. Mm-hmm. And we thought, I mean, it's so, the cloth is so beautiful that we thought it would look really cool in a shoe. And here it is. Nice. This is the result. It's very nice. Yeah. And those uh, laces are. Oh, the shoe laces. Yeah, whatever shoe laces mean. Organic cotton. Same. Which are incredibly hard to source. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you've ever tried to look for organic cotton shoelaces, everybody, you will find it's very difficult to do. Mm. It's pretty cool. Thank you. So uh, I guess this is the part of the podcast where we get into a little bit more of the personal. Not that we didn't go personal with you, but uh, deeper questions. Mm -hmm. So what is the uh, smallest thing you've done in your business that's brought you the largest results? Oh, networking. Networking. Yes. Mm -hmm. And showing up. Showing showing up in person. Yes. Just be there. Being there in person has made the biggest difference, Mm -hmm. you know. What are the top three podcasts, blogs, or books that someone should read if they want to get to read or listen to if they want to get to know you better? Oh, I thought about that. Okay, so top three books are Atlas Shrugged, Ender's Game, Fight Club. (laughs) Fight Club? I love that book. I don't know what that says about me, but I love it. Why Atlas Shrugged? I've never read Atlas Shrugged and, and... Endless game. Oh, great books. What are they about? Um, Atlas Shrugged, I read that I read that when I was 17, and it's a pretty thick book, but it's by Ayn Rand and um it's about work, really, mm. and how work is done. And you know, really the message at the end of it that I got out of it was stop making excuses for yourself and just do your job. Mm-hmm. And that was that was something that I really took to heart in, in all of that. I mean, there were so many other things that, you know, she wrote about. And yes, I welcome to criticism and that's totally fine. <laughs> because she did have some ideas that were not entirely consistent. But I mean, that was the overall takeaway that I got with that. And for me, it was something that, you know, uh, you know, if you show up and you do your job, mm-hmm. it's really funny because those things just take no talent at all. There's just something that you do and you can go so far with just doing that. 
and and the second book was Ender's Game. Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card. Great book. Was there a movie? Based there on was it? a movie. I haven't seen that yet. I watched the movie. You did? I oh no! Don't tell me because I haven't actually seen it. <laughs> and there's actually a whole series of books, mm-hmm. but great. I, if you like science fiction, it's, it's, oh man, it's so well written and there's so many plots and subplots and, and it's about family conflict and it's great. Yeah. Cool. And aliens. Cool. And then, uh, Fight Club. Mm, what's the last one? Fight Club. Fight Club. <laughs> right. And today, oh, top three apps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, top, top three. three apps. Yeah. So top three apps. I thought about that and that's definitely Pleco, which has been indispensable to me. I love Pleco. It's the best Chinese dictionary app out there. I'm also into BBC News and WeChat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Pleco, BBC News, WeChat. Mm-hmm. All right, Heather. Um, thanks for being on the podcast. I think. Thanks for having you know, me. Uh, did you have anything that I didn't touch on that you wanted to to talk about, or any advice that you have for entrepreneurs out there? Hmm. Advice for entrepreneurs out there. Make a lot of new friends. <laughs> you know, that that's really been the gist of it for me is like, accept every social invitation out there. I mean, of course you need to know when to go home. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, some self-control too, <laughs> but, but. Yeah, if it's three o'clock in the morning and then, some, some yeah, person's exactly. inviting you to some after party. And, uh-huh. And you know, they, I don't know if they make the after parties in the basement. Right. You probably don't want to accept that. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, I'm just saying being smart about it, but <laughs> right, exactly. But yeah, just, just try to meet as many different kinds of people mm-hmm. as you can and try to listen very well at what people have to say. Mm-hmm. I think that that's, you know, because you can't learn if you're talking. Cool. Uh, thanks for being on the podcast. I think. Thanks uh, for having me. You know, if people want to reach out to you, where can they find you? Um, you can find me uh, Heather at Ollieworld.com. So that's Heather at O-L-L-I-W-O-R-L-D.com. And uh, if you want to reach out to us, that is info at sourcefindasia.com. You want to check out the podcast episodes, previous episodes, and uh, you know the show notes, the picture of the flip-flops. Oh, my gosh. Uh, that's sourcefindasia.com slash made in China. And in Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, sourcefindasia. Thanks a lot.